Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome back to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I'm Jay Harrington. Tom Nixon is with me. Hi, Tom. Hello, Jay. Good to talk to you again. You too. Um, So we're recording on August 26th, although this episode won't release until the Tuesday after Labor Day. So what I want to do is is plant a seed in your mind that that day is is one that I have pegged because this has been my past practice as well. I'm going to be starting a new book on that day. I'd like to start the Tuesday after Labor Day. And I want you, your future self, to remember to check in with me and make sure I got some pages done that morning. Okay. I will do that. I promise. Okay. All right. Perfect. And you have your new book that is in a much later stage uh, and almost ready to go. Right. Although you haven't sent it to me to, to edit yet. Right. I, it is ready to go. Um, I will send it to you. I know you've been busy, so I've not burdened you with another task, but if you're willing to give it a read, I'm willing to send it off, off to you. And I yeah, hope to launch do. it in September. Um, so oh, okay. We'll get it over to read to it quick. <laughs> Let's go. All right. Cool. Uh, well, let's let's definitely do that. All right. So uh, overrated, underrated to you, Tom. Um, this is the season where, you know, I know in, through past experience, um, firms, companies, they're starting to send out RFPs for, you know, marketing related to 2022. And one of the things that we'll oftentimes find in those RFPs is a uh, request to help rebrand or brand a firm or a company. Um, so I, I'm curious to get your take, Tom, on whether you think branding at like the corporate level is overrated or underrated. Wow. Boy, we're going to have to excuse our guests because I'm going to be talking for about 30 minutes here. So <laughs> um, you've got, you've got, you got 60 seconds. Uh, 60 seconds. All right. Clock's ticking. God, that's tough because on the one hand, I think it's undervalued by the firms. But I sometimes think that we in the profession overvalue the importance of subtle nuance that sometimes gets missed. So there's a firm here in town that went through a massive rebrand. I personally liked it and I loved everything it represented, but there were people in the firm who complained that they don't understand it. I don't get why we spent what we spent. So I still think branding at the corporate level is underrated. even acknowledging that some of us in the industry maybe I think get too proud of our own little minutia achievements in, uh, God, I, if it sounds like I'm hedging, I am because I'm kind of torn. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Maybe you'll be able to convince me one way or the other. Yeah. I don't know. I would say a little bit overrated. Um, I, and I think that applies more to like the bigger you are, I think oftentimes, especially in the law firm world, the more overrated it is to spend, you know, gobs of time and money focused on it. Meaning most large law firms do largely the same thing. It's very difficult to create differentiated positioning through a brand mm-hmm. in that respect. I do think though, that the more narrow you get, whether that be a firm who has a particular focus or even within a big firm, you know, thinking about branding from like a practice or industry group level, or even more importantly, at a personal attorney, personal brand level becomes more relevant because, you know, if you, if you can't really say anything that's differentiating, then branding just becomes a lot less powerful. So I don't know, on balance overrated. Yeah. Well, they hired the firm, they hired the firm or they hired the attorney. The attorney. Right? 
they hire yeah. the attorney. So I, if, if somebody said, I have a, here's a sack of cash, how should I spend it? I would say work with your individual attorneys to build their individual brands. Right? Yep. Agreed. All right, cool. All right. Well, let's get to our guest, uh, the more important part of the show. So uh, we're excited to have Alexis Robertson join us today, who is the Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley and Lardner. She's a former big law, a big law attorney and former legal recruiter. And she's very uh, into, effective at, and excited to talk about LinkedIn on today's show. So Alexis, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's a privilege to be here. Yeah, no, it's great to have you here. Um, so we had uh, we had a, a kind of an agenda to talk about today a little bit. Um, and then just before we hit record on the show, you and I started talking about um, LinkedIn a little bit. And you reminded me to make sure we had time to talk about it because it's something you're passionate about. So we decided, you know what, let's dive right in there. So, um, you know, you're someone who's very active on the platform. You have a big following. Um, you, I, I can tell just from following your posts, which I love, you know, you sort of get it, but there's still a lot of attorneys out there who might be still, you know, kind of lurking on the platform as opposed to having dived in and are really engaged. So, so what do you say to people who, you know, maybe come to you and your firm and say, I don't know, I just don't see the value of LinkedIn. Should I be on it? If I'm on it, should I be, what should I be doing? That kind of thing. First, I have to gauge them as a person and decide, am I going to freak them out if I go into this? <laughs> <laughs> And then I dial it back by about 50%. But I, you know, I, there's a lot of uses for LinkedIn and I think attorneys just don't understand. And for me, so going back a little bit to build in a little bit of my history there, but as a legal recruiter, so I practiced for seven and a half years, I jump into legal recruiting, I use LinkedIn. That was back when more like five, six years ago when it was like, I don't need a job. Why would I be on LinkedIn? Attorneys really weren't on it. And I actually think overall attorneys, especially law firm attorneys are still late slash newer to adopting the platform. So we are not by any way in our like heyday for what we will be seeing for, I hope, um, law firm lawyers in particular. And because of that, they're not on the platform. So they don't know the capabilities or what it's missing. And there's a number of things to consider. So it's a you know great topic you were just talking about with, with personal brands. So obviously there's that. But the first thing I get from lawyers, and I know you get it, and I know listeners maybe have thought it in the past, was either I'm not looking for a job or... I can't write things. I have to worry about privilege and I have to worry about malpractice. And they conflate their own individual identity with them, with being a lawyer, as if they are literally one in the same. The only thing they could talk about on LinkedIn or use LinkedIn for is to take pictures of privileged documents and put them on the platform, right? That is not, that is not what we're talking about, but there's so many different ways to engage. So I do think content creation is sort of the highest and perhaps best use of LinkedIn. But even outside of that, something I talk a lot about as a recruiter was using it to collect and to visualize your network. Because when you are looking for a job or when you are looking for who do I know that does X, Y, Z that I could build a stronger relationship with for business development purposes, it literally does that for you. So I'll often say, you know, unless you're still keeping a Rolodex, and unless you are doing that, I send out a Christmas card or a holiday card every year to everyone I know, it doesn't make sense to me that you wouldn't use this free technology at the bare minimum to maintain and to visualize your network. But then the next step would be going on there sometimes to interact with the content of others, because there's people that you have met over the years who do use it more frequently than you do. And those four comments you made a year for five years is actually far more of a relationship with them than you would have had otherwise. 
same thing with, this has happened to me a lot, you know, in the before times before the pandemic, I'd meet at some event, we'd have a great 10 minute discussion and, you know, we might exchange cards. I would definitely connect with them on LinkedIn. And at, there was a time where that would be the extent of our interaction, unless we ran across each other at an event again in three years, but they get to know me now because we connect on LinkedIn. So when I see them two years from now, it's this warm reception. It's Alexis. Oh my gosh. How have you been? I saw now you work here. You do this. And then the other thing I think moving to comfort um, or hopeful eventual comfort with content creation is that ability to really amplify what you're doing as well as to create your personal brand. What are you into? What are you working on? What's your job? What do you like? And I'll stop there because there's probably a lot to unpack, but I think people forget that you can use it to put out there what you're into, what you're doing so that things can start coming back to you. And for many lawyers, that can be in the form of business or other major professional development opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you would be excused for not listening to last week's episode where we touched on some of this because we just recorded it today. So with the miracle of time travel, uh, there was no way for you to uh, hear it. But we did. We talked about with Scott Oliver in last week's episode about, I don't know if you're connected with Scott on LinkedIn, but he's he advocates and does exactly what you suggest. And he shows his personal side. I wanted to go back to something you said at the very beginning, though, which is that the most common, I don't know if this is the most common apprehension, but the most common response I get from somebody who's not on LinkedIn or is not active on it, they say, well, I'm on LinkedIn, but I'm not really on LinkedIn. Like I don't do anything. And I always tell them, and I want to get your impression of this. LinkedIn's not something you're on. It's something you do. So how would you get somebody aside from what I think is great advice about start interacting with other people's comments. How would you get the apprehensive person off of the sideline actually starting to do something? Is there something you would recommend that they start it's doing? Tough. There's there's a bunch going on there because there was a time when LinkedIn was just something you were on. Remember before there was even a main feed, yep. it was literally, do you have a profile? So they're still in that mindset, most likely. For sure. So mm -hmm. I think the first thing is just saying, en engage with the platform, it, download the app, scroll on it sometimes, just so they can start seeing that it is a lot more dynamic than that. Um, but also a lot of this is coming, I mean, to really kind of dive in, it's coming from this fear of rejection, this fear of if I comment on Jay's posts and other people read it, will they think it's dumb or if I make content. And that's actually a bigger thing that I actually think for lawyers connects to a lot of their networking and broader professional development efforts, which is this fear of putting themselves out there. And I think that's a longer coaching call. But I think the easiest thing is to just start spending a little time. Um, and I've met people who have reached out to me, they want to get advice and they're like, all right, I'm going to start creating content. And I'm like, great, do that. But you are going to need to iterate. You're going to need to find your voice. So the baby steps in that is just getting comfortable and seeing what the platform is for. And by the way, I didn't even get into the fact that as you guys probably know really well, the algorithm is constantly changing, but it is trying to do things to keep you on the platform. So I appreciate that I've trained LinkedIn to know what I'm interested in. And so LinkedIn actually makes me better at my job. There are few articles that you can send me that I have not already seen just by virtue of who I follow, um, what, what publications, what people, what companies, because it'll bring it to me probably within four to six hours of publication. So there's other things like that, that even if you're someone who's sheepish about that engaging with others, you can use it to keep you sharp, to aggregate content for you. Yeah. And Alexis, I think also, you know, I, I know from my experience, and I'm interested in your point of view on this, one of the apprehensions 
and misunderstandings among lawyers uh, related to LinkedIn is, you know, they think about how their professional persona or brand is represented on a law firm's website. And on a law firm's website, if you think about it, almost every large firm, and I think most small ones, attorneys' bios are written in the third person. Um, they're writing client alerts and articles, again, in the third person. Whereas on LinkedIn, I think it's a first-person platform. At least it should be, right? And that's one of the mistakes I see is people just copy over their website bio under their LinkedIn profile, and they write in a kind of a you know formulaic sort of stiff way, um, and they're not doing any storytelling. And that's really what is resonating with people on the platform. I don't know. There's not really a question there, but I wonder if you have any reaction. But to you that. see, but you see me nodding because yep. I think overall it is a mistake to have your. I'm trying to describe this the right way, but your law firm or your company should not be your sole brand. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of places that I worked, as you mentioned, I'm director of diversity, inclusion, and fully in Lardner. But for someone who follows me on LinkedIn for any amount of time, you will definitely learn my thoughts on diversity and inclusion. You will hear about things I'm doing professionally, but you will also hear about other things because the I is important and the we're already on this virtual platform and ultimately you're connecting and building some real relationships. And I can't do that if the only thing I know about you is that you're a corporate attorney at X law firm, because there are at least hundreds of other people with that exact same, who are doing the exact same thing, the exact same firm, you know, tens mm -hmm. or hundreds, depending on the size of your organization. And so I do think that infusion of the personal is important, but this is also where people get, get scared. Well, what am I going to say? I'm not that interesting. So this does depend on your comfort level. But also there's people who are really contributing to, you know, the discourse or the marketplace, and they actually don't say anything about themselves individually. They have made it clear they like reading Harvard Business Review, and you can count on their posts to give you a nice little summary of Harvard Business Review, and you appreciate it, right? Because you aren't going to click through anyway. And so I also think there is this figuring out something, your perspective within your comfort level, but ultimately that you're bringing value. So the first thing I used to do on the platform years ago, when, you know, just not as many people were on it, a lot of my posts were that, like, thank you so much for so-and-so for having me be on some panel, right? It was a little bit more, a lot more self-promotion because that's kind of what you did. I'll do that sometimes now, but I'm more likely to, to share something that I actually think will educate or entertain or, in, or inform than I am just to sort of gratuitously tell you what I'm up to. Although I'll do a little bit of that too. Yeah. Well, that speaks to the fact that you, you talked about finding your voice and that's, that is an evolution because we went through the same thing. I mean, if I think about my own experience on LinkedIn, it was similar in the sense that I was using it to promote, you know, things that, like a speaking appearance or something like that. And also to promote my content that I was, that was on my website or that I wrote for law.com, whatever. That was really it. I mean, and it, since then, you know, I do very little of that and I'm doing much more, you know, trying to, like you said, educate. I don't know how entertaining it is, but, um, you know, if I can educate, I think from my standpoint, that's, that's what I'm aiming for. But I, I love that. I think that was a great explanation. Well, and I think Tom, also just to, okay. to bring it home quickly, just to the business mm -hmm, yeah. development, because the, to the lawyers that are like, okay, that's all fine for you guys. Mm -hmm. You don't practice. Yeah. Why would I listen to you? Um, so for me, how I've seen it translate is I, whether it be sharing an article or a personal experience or a recommendation, whatever it is, I will get people who leave thoughtful comments that aren't a part of my network, but are very much a part of the legal community and that I will connect with some of which are very senior um, in-house lawyers or even general counsel that otherwise would not be on my radar and will develop this rapport over weeks or months. I will get people who will message me 
And if I was practicing, the wise thing to do, particularly if we weren't in a pandemic, but would be to say, next time in your Chicago, I would love to get coffee or, you know, let's set up a time to talk further. And that's where the seed of if I was, you know, then hoping to turn that into something more, give it some years. That's how that happens. It's the same networking skill you're doing in real life. But the thing is, I said this earlier, but you're, it's scale. Like you're able to scale and amplify your efforts in a way that you just cannot do via in-person networking, email, and phone calls. Well, I had one more question about LinkedIn and make, before we move off and who knows, maybe we won't move off of it. But um, we talked about old school objections to getting active on a social media platform, right? The, why would I be on LinkedIn? I'm not looking for a job. The other one I used to hear back in the day is, uh, why would I be on social media? No one cares what I'm eating for breakfast, My right? And so the the obviously the pejorative there implied was that all people did on social network was take pictures of their avocado toast and, and blast it out, right? So hopefully that's changing, especially with LinkedIn's never been that. So what would you do? Let's say you've got somebody, a young attorney who is now convinced that they're going to be on active on LinkedIn. And then they come to you and they say, well, I don't know what to post about. I'm not an expert. I'm not a thought leader, quote unquote. Um, how do I know what to write? What would you, okay. you Two things. I want to respond to that. But I also want to say for the folks who are like, I don't do social media. And this actually ties to my day job. What I want people to be is intentional. So if you are avoiding something because you don't know what it is, you are not able to intentionally make a choice about that thing. So, mm. to, so people sort of, I hate to say it, but sort of like flexing their ignorance <laughs> about, <laughs> about the platform, that's great for them. But I hope they understand that ultimately you don't really know what this is. And for you to reject it, I hope you've at least decided, said, oh, I don't need that in my life and then moved on. But for the, um, the associate who wants to start getting involved, my first thing, back to what I said earlier, spend some time on the platform. Um, Find people whose content you really like. And maybe you're not going to be able to emulate that right away, but I, I assure you that following it for weeks, months, years, it will sort of influence you and your comfort level. But then ultimately, you're just going to have to, to you know, put your toe in the water. <laughs> you're going to hmm. post something, see what happens. How does it feel? Back to that, that iterating. But I do think some of the general kind of stake posts for a lot of people are you know, I work here, I do X. And so for a junior attorney, there's probably some stuff you're doing anyway, back to what I said about amplifying and scaling that you could get some mileage out of. So it's a little bit boring, I will admit, but it doesn't scare people because it's already out there. You're writing a blog post for your firm. You also share it on LinkedIn. But another part about LinkedIn that to make you kind of more successful at connecting with people, this is really about empathy. So I'll tell you, I don't love it when people just write things like interesting article, or I wrote this post and they leave it, they put it on, they leave. Give me some words. What is it? Take out the nuggets of wisdom. Be empathetic to me. Assume I don't have time to click through to read everything. Just you taking the time for that thing you already did that is you, you're out there, you're involved, but it can be other things as well. Like there's books you're reading. There's things you've learned about the practice of law. There's questions you may even have for the community that don't touch anything client related, that don't touch anything privileged, but that start to give people a sense of you. And, and my big thing, Jay, which you also touched on was storytelling. Ultimately, you're, you're bringing people in on your journey. I, I, I think that's the best way to do it. That's not the tact that everybody takes. But you're, and this is me totally stealing, stealing from Gary V, by the way, <laughs> for anybody who's familiar with Gaynor, Vayner, Gary Vaynerchuk, but the sharing 
versus creating brand new stuff. So a lot of what I do is telling you about something I'm doing anyway. I'm not really sitting down thinking of like, what's original content I can come up with for LinkedIn. It's more, I happen to watch this show. It's interesting. It ties to my day job. It ties to some things I think people that follow me may be experiencing, or I read a book and this quote this section of it, you know, I read it anyway, and maybe it'll help you out as well. So, so things like that, I mean, truly, you know, the world is your oyster and maybe that's what scares people about it. But for a lot of people, the safe stuff will be posting something they already wrote so that more people can see that they did it, announcing they got a new job. Um, those, those sorts of things can start making people comfortable. I think, I think a lot of this, what would sort of is overlaid over all of what we've been talking about today is mindset, right? Whether it, and I think you could, you could replace LinkedIn with almost any new activity, uh, marketing, business development, professional development related for, for a lawyer. Um, and it comes down to having the right mindset to have the courage to do it in the first place and persevere through things that might be challenges. So you've written before on LinkedIn and this, this, I really love this post. You talked about, um, your kind of coming to the point where you start to trust in your ability to figure out new things. And, and I love that. And I think that relates to LinkedIn, but I think it has broader implications because I mean, the practice of law really is all about the right mindset, growth mindset, you know, an abundance mindset, like all of these things are so important. So it really is about mindset. I just, can you talk a little bit about that? Like what yeah. inspired you to come to that realization and, and share it? Well, it takes some years. And I think for most of us, it's hard fought. So if anybody can learn from us and short circuit that, that'd be great. But particularly for lawyers, uh, you have to change most things about yourself. Like the, the, your view of how you learn, at least when you become a new attorney. Um, I think a lot of people were successful because they are very sharp. They can master things very quickly. And they like that positive feedback that they're getting along the way you know, A's or those continued achievements. And when you start practicing and just know in general, I'm talking to the firm lawyers, but this may apply in other contexts that is out the window. You have likely signed up for something that now will take you years to master and you won't frequently get kudos for it. And so you have to understand having a much longer term view of most things, um, figuring out how you can have some level of, I would say self-compassion and self-care because if this is, I mean, this all goes into why I think things are so hard for attorneys because we're wired a certain way, I think, is which is why we choose the practice of law. But a lot of that ultimately figuring out how you can trust yourself, trust yourself to figure it out. I think for, for many um, junior lawyers, it's more like that four to five year mark where you kind of hit this point where you're like, I know that I don't know everything, but like I can, I'm going to try to figure this, this out. That is really, really important, but I think it can be really jarring becoming a new attorney. And if you try to carry with you what made you successful before and you don't modify it, you're in much more of a world of hurt. And I actually think there's another inflection point as well. If you do make it to partner, same thing. What made you successful as an associate is likely not going to be what makes you successful as a partner. So what you said, growth mindset, realizing you're going to have to continue adapting and changing and what got you there. Um, is not necessarily what's going to get you to the next stage. Yeah. In speaking of that, maybe we could um, pick from your own experience because you are not afraid to try and learn new things. Obviously, as we Jay ran down your kind of career path, you got out of law, which had to be a jarring experience. Then you went back into law, 
which half of our audience is saying, what is she doing? So um, talk about how you've applied that mindset to your own career. Um, you've, you can, you've got wisdom to share because you have yeah. the experience. You know, what's funny. So I never officially left the legal, right? I left practice. I became a legal recruiter, placing lawyers. And now I'm back on in a law firm, but on the management side of the house um, as it relates to diversity. So for me, I've always been at least legal adjacent, which did help with that transition out of, I think it would have been harder had I full, you know, left and done something where, you know, nobody cares if you have a JD. I'm also someone for who, whatever reason, my identity wasn't as tied up in being a lawyer. I think that's a really big one. That's a nut we're not going to be able to like to crack or unpack in the next few minutes, but just something to know. But the other thing is, I think our viewpoints and our incentives are a little messed up one sunk costs, right? We get way too caught up in sunk costs of, well, I went to law school. I promised I'd do this. You know, I I'm just going to suck it up and work the next 40 years in something that I don't enjoy and dot, <laughs> dot, dot, it'll be fine. But here's the thing. I think people should be more concerned about professionally languishing and also just being outworked and outshined by people who like what they do. And so when I talk about this, it's tough because I, I know, I genuinely believe there are a lot of attorneys who really do love their job. And it did take some time because of the learning curve and just that arc of being a lawyer is hard. But you, if you don't believe that and think everyone is, is suffering, you're wrong. Like you're, you're just wrong. There are people who the reason their brief reads so brilliantly, like they enjoyed writing it. And if you're not one of those people, you know, you could pull that out for a decade or so but it's going to grate on you. And so I call it professional alignment, finding something. And for many lawyers, it might be a practice area thing. It might be a firm thing. It might be who you're working with, but really trying to figure out can ideally align many aspects of who you are with what you do is, well, what is what will allow you to, to excel. But I will say, and I always have to add this, this is the diversity director in me. A lot of this is a privilege. There's a lot of people you know, on the planet who, they don't, they can't do the navel gazing of, am I professionally fulfilled? Right. So I, I want to acknowledge that, but if you're someone who can, I truly think you owe it to yourself, even if it takes you years to figure out the appropriate way to make that adjustment that, you know, allows you to keep eating and have a place to live and all of that. But just understand that you cannot, you're not going to outwork somebody who likes what they do. If you don't like what you're doing. That's fantastic advice. Um, I think that's really important for people to, to understand. I know, you know, I didn't, uh, I probably in total practice for about 10 years, but looking back, I mean, that's exactly the way you need to be thinking about your career. Um, so in our, in our few remaining minutes, um, I wanted to shift gears and talk about another thought leadership related topic. Um, you have, you host a podcast yourself. And I think it's interesting because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but most, if not all of your guests are people within your firm within yep. Foley, right? Okay. Which is, which is kind of interesting and, and unique. There may be other firms doing that. Um, and, but your take is, is very different. You're not like interviewing people about the latest Supreme court decision. You're interviewing them to get to know them as people and for, to allow others to get to know them as people, if I'm not mistaken. So can you just talk a little bit about your podcasting experience? Um, maybe some tips for other people as to, yes. you know, is podcasting worth it? What, what should they expect out of it? That kind of thing. Absolutely. So the podcast is called the path and the practice. I will sometimes call it my pandemic podcast because, but for the <laughs> pandemic, it would not exist. And it just, it grew out of me being new in my role at Foley Media 
people, wanting to see how they were doing, jumped on the phone with over like a hundred Foley lawyers. And based on just who I am and what I find interesting, in addition to telling them about me, I would ask, how are you really doing? And I would ask them about their path. And I got all these interesting stories. And one day I was talking to Jen Patton, who's our chief legal talent officer, telling her there are some phenomenal stories and phenomenal people at this firm. Wouldn't it be interesting or wouldn't it be funny if I launched a podcast to share them? And I was half joking because, you know, what firm is going to let me have a podcast, (laughs) particularly after having only worked there at that point for like three or four months. And Jen said, you know what? That's a great idea. I think you should do it. And so I did, by the way, tying this to LinkedIn, I got some great advice from people on LinkedIn whom I'd never met, but a number of people who'd had a podcast, including some individuals who have a top cybersecurity podcast, because you never know what your LinkedIn network will bring you. And yeah, the, the focus of the show is me having each episode, although I've had a handful of special guests, but generally each episode is me in conversation with a different Foley attorney talking about their path to law, their path. And then as I'll say a bit about their practice, if I have a lawyer on, it's not going to be 45 minutes about, you know, an M&A practice that that might be seven of the minutes, but I just think overall, there's this place to infuse um, humanity into particularly into big law. And I mean, given what my, my job is, which we haven't talked a lot about, I think it's really important to humanize people to show that we are all just people figuring it out because part of everything that we're doing with diversity and inclusion is really a part of that. It's showing that all of us, we didn't, you know, we weren't endowed with some instruction manual that told us how to become a a partner at a firm. So I think to hear partners and associates and senior counsel talk about how they figured it out and what their trajectory was makes it feel more surmountable to others. I'm also a firm believer that, that law firms should really take advantage of new media and podcasts being one of those. It's such a powerful way to passively consume information. I was very fortunate. So as far as I know, Foley is the only firm with this sort of platform or podcast. And my, my shows come out about once a week, although occasionally I will skip a week. And it was really important to me that the podcast was available on real podcast platforms, that it wasn't like a navigate to our intranet site or, you know, go to our website and click. Cause back to what I was saying about empathy for the consumer, I wanted Foley lawyers and those interested in our firm to be able to find this in an easy way. And right now we are all just inundated with information. So part of all of this, you're communicating on LinkedIn, or if you're thinking of starting a podcast is figuring out ways to make it easier for people to get information that hopefully is valuable in some way. And if it is, they'll come back and find it. But if you make it difficult and podcasting is great because as you, as you, as Jay, as you and Tom know, well, it means I can be on a walk and I can listen to you. I can do my dishes. I can be commuting. And I think a lot of times as lawyers, we like people to, to directly engage, like I'm going to write a 3000 word article and I expect you to sit down and read every word of it. And that's just not the world that we are in. I also think as law firms, while it is just obviously incredibly important that for client service purposes, we give, you know, the latest rundown of the department of labor's, you know, decisions on X that we also are very focused on people Our what we are selling at the end of the day is the brilliance of the individuals who work at our firms. And so to show, to have ways to further showcase, showcase and show other sides of them. Um, and what we found so far at Foley is the podcast has been really useful in terms of recruiting, but also our clients, they'll get to listen to a story about an attorney they've worked with for, you know, years and years and learn things about them that they didn't know, which actually further, you know, reinforces that relationship and that we are people too. We know that you're people and we're trying to reach the best business solutions. So there's a ton to say about it, but I would say if you're curious about it, do it. I, I am fortunate in that we work with an outside production company who can assemble everything. 
the cost of that, given the magnitude of who the audience can reach is like, is quite low. You know, you'll spend more money on just the food in a, in a room for, of, you know, 30 or 40 people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I, I really hope that that legal and big law in particular starts embracing podcasting more. Trust in your ability to figure out new things. A wise I, woman I did, once I said. Just, I just decided, I was like, yeah, podcast, totally going to do it. It'll be fine. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we, one of the very first overrated, underrated, I asked Jay, podcasting for attorneys, overrated or underrated? And I'm assuming your answer, Alexis, is? I think it's underrated, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. You need to invest a little bit in, make sure the audio's quality, make sure that you make it clear what your show is about, what to expect in a given episode. I just think there's times where people will sort of halfway do things and then wonder why it's not getting traction. And it's because you just, you didn't do all the things you could do to make it easier for your listener. And if you keep that in mind, you'd, you'd be surprised, but it's just, people want to hear that lawyers are human also. And I think that's my approach to LinkedIn as well is show, and I don't practice, but showing the human humanity in myself, as well as when I can showcasing it in others. Awesome. Well, um, Alexis, this was really great. One thing I, I didn't mention, and this kind of uh, is, is related to what we're talking about, which is learning new things about people. Um, all of us have a degree from University of Michigan. Uh, so Tom, I don't, I don't think you knew that necessarily, but I did uh, not. No. Okay. Yep. I know you. I knew I did. I knew I did. I knew I did. I, is that what you? Yeah. Mean? yeah, yeah. <laughs> you still remember? I know it was a long time ago, yeah. but you still remember that. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny for anyone who listens to my podcast. They also will learn way more about me than they ever signed up for because I'm a big fan of just you know like this show, more informal, not mm -hmm. the like we're going to spend three hours and I'm going to have you fill out a questionnaire. And then I'm going to very rote read questions. And then you are going to respond like a robot. Nobody wants to listen to that. So I, depending on what you're doing with a podcast, having it be more personable like this with an exchange back and forth, that's, I think that's the way to go. And yeah, so the, I talk about the university of Michigan, probably more than certain people would prefer, but that's mm -hmm. who I am. Yeah. Go blue. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll, the, they'll have just played Western Michigan when this comes out. I know. So uh, hopefully we we'll see that's, that can be historically a tough one. So <laughs> in any I'll say event, go blue regardless. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, this is awesome. So, uh, Alexis, I guess where, other than LinkedIn, uh, your podcast, anywhere else you'd point people to, to learn more about you and connect with you. LinkedIn really is the best place to find me. Mm -hmm. Definitely check out the podcast. You'd be surprised. There's some really amazing stories on there. Um, I'm also on Instagram, but that's more the like fitness and wellness side of things. So those are like the two sides of my personality is law firm, diversity and inclusion, um, networking. And then also there, I'm a real nerd for all things well-being as well. Awesome. Well, it was a real pleasure. Like I said, uh, great to have the opportunity to, to speak to you uh, on our podcast today. And to all our listeners, thank you for joining us and come back next week for another episode. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.